Want to get to the afterlife, but you're not sure how? Think the normal ways are too hard or long? Well, we've got some salvation hacks. I'm Austin. I'm Nathan. And welcome Welcome to to the the world world of religion. religion. All right, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Welcome to the World of Religion. It's going to be great. Hopefully. This could be a train wreck. (laughs) (laughs) This, okay, so we have Salvation Hacks, which, yeah, uh, hopefully isn't terribly insensitive to every single religion we're about to hack, but you'll thank us when you get to heaven using these. Or all the heavens. Or all the heavens. We don't know. (laughs) You could get, you can get to any heaven using these, all sorts of heavens. We're going to talk about Hinduism, we're going to talk about Buddhism, we're going to talk about the three big branches of Christianity, and also Mormonism, which may or may not be a branch of Christianity. Depends on who you ask. That's another episode. That's another episode. <laughs> yeah. So. Austin, could you start us off with Hinduism? Yeah, I think that, that'd that be great. So Hinduism, the Hinduism is one of the oldest religions dating back to what? Third century, third millennium BC. About that. About yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, native to India. And they believed in, well, it's a little bit complicated. They believed in a great god, Brahman, and transcending the material reality of your existence and joining Brahman in this sort of ether energy force was the ultimate goal of salvation. You're transcending the material life and the cycle of samsara, which is reincarnation. If you are good, do good acts, generate good karma. As you go through samsara, your position in life gets better. If you are bad and generate bad karma, your position in life gets worse. And this determines how you transcend through the various classes. There are four main classes and the uh, the classless avarna. All the classes are called avarna, which actually means color, which is uh, interesting, but... Yeah, the four classes, you have the bottom, shudras, which are the unskilled laborers. You have the vaishas, which are the skilled laborers, like artisans, merchants, that kind of thing. Kshatriyas, which are the warrior class. Fun fact, the Buddha was a kshatriya. Yeah, 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 the Buddha. That's another episode. Actually, it's like next on this, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We'll do an episode on the Buddha's life later. On just the Buddha? Got it, okay. And finally, the Brahmins, which are the priest class. Yeah, just to be, so for your um, awareness, there's a lot of words in Hinduism that start with Brahm. There are the Brahmins, which is the priestly class. Yeah. There's Brahman, which is the divine substance we've already mentioned. And then there's Brahma, who is a theistic god. Yeah. It's another episode. Like an individual god, one of the 300 million. And then there's the Brahmanas, which are the one of the commentaries on the Vedic texts, which are one of the the holy books, the main holy texts of the religion. And yeah. So that's that's the way you get salvation. You generate good karma from wherever your starting point is, and you go higher and higher and higher. You get through all the classes. You reach the Brahmins, and then you go beyond that. And then, hooray, you've been very, very good boy, and you achieve Brahma. You, you become one with Brahman, the universe, slash God. Yeah. But... This is not ideal because this takes a very long time, not just years, 
but possibly centuries, millennia of lives. Yeah, lots and lots of lives. Because not only do you have to be good to transcend each class, but you have to transcend the the jati, which are subclasses, castes within each class. So let's say you start as a kshatriya, second to best. You still have countless jati within the kshatriya class to get through before you can jump up to brahmin, and even more to get through brahmin before you can finally break out. And every single one of these has to be a flawless run. Perfect life. Okay, not quite perfect, but good. Very good. Which is a lot of work. So. I hate tests. (laughs) So, how you get out of this whole thing. Around 1000 BC, these texts called the Upanishads were written, which are another form of commentary on the Vedas. And they introduced the concept of the renunciant. And the renunciant doesn't generate good karma doesn't generate bad karma. They generate no karma. And in order to get their salvation, they break the system. If you don't generate any good karma, you don't generate any good karma. To, oh, karma bears fruit, necessarily. And if you don't generate any good karma, you're not going to be going upwards. But if you also don't generate any bad karma, you're not going downwards. And you have no sum total of karma after becoming a renunciant and renouncing your class. So, in effect, correct it's, me if I'm wrong, Nathan, you, you, you force the universe to divide by zero and get a syntax error. You know, so, I'm a humanities major, but that sounds perfect to me. <laughs> so, yeah, you generate no karma, and then one shot, one life. Bam, you're out. You break samsara, you break the reincarnation cycle, and you don't reincarnate. You go straight to Brahmanhoodness. Yeah. And that's the salvation <laughs> hack. Congrats. You have just hacked Hinduism. So, yeah. On from this, we're going to talk about Buddhism. Okay, so Buddhism, interestingly enough, was an outgrowth of Hinduism because the Buddha, as we've mentioned, was a Kshatriya in his life as Siddhartha Gautama. Uh, but, you know, he looked around and saw a whole lot of suffering. And as he looked at the suffering in the world, he thought, this can't be how it, this can't be how it is. How can we solve this? And, you know, he sat under a tree for a while and bam, enlightenment happened. That's, that's, that's how it should be. I think he hacked it too, to be honest. Yeah, the Buddha <laughs> hacked Hinduism millennia before we did. That's true. This is true. But I think the Upanishads would have been around at the time. So he, he might that's have true. known. That's true. Welcome to the world of religion. <laughs> he actually did try to be a renunciant, but found that that was unfulfilling because he wasn't actually aiding the suffering. He was just kind of working selfishly. Right. So... As a being the good boy that he was, you know, he didn't he didn't stay a renunciant. Right. And so when the Buddha woke up and became enlightened, that's what Buddha means, you know, one who has woken up. Uh, he had figured out everything, and that's what he taught his followers. So we all suffer in our lives. And the reason we suffer is because of several things. You know, there's suffering from pain, there's suffering from loss. But the most profound sort of suffering is suffering from attachment to worldly things which are impermanent. And so the way to escape suffering, to escape the cycle of reincarnation, samsara, once again, is to detach. Because if you're not detached to things, then your soul, we'll get back to that because you don't really have a soul, will stop uh, reincarnating and you will escape. And... If you, so this whole breaking out is getting out of 
material. But how do you do that? Well, there's a few ways. So as we've mentioned, you can become less detached through practicing things like right mindfulness, you know, um, and various other practices that the Buddha set out, the eight-spoke um, wheel of Dharma. But over time... It's like the Eightfold Path. Eightfold Path, sorry. Yeah, well, it is yeah. the, the eight-spokes the eight on the wheel, but like... Right, the eight they represent the, eight, is the, eightfold the path. proper term. But over time, Buddhism diversified in several ways. And more and more followers of the Buddha developed more nuanced ways or even uh, more creative ways. The Zen Buddhists meditated in front of walls for that's hours. That's right. Sit in front of a wall for nine hours and you might wake up. But that doesn't really count as a hack because that's more work. Yeah. But what's a bit more hack-like are things called in Zen Buddhism uh, expedient means or upaya. So one example of an expedient means is a koan. So a koan is a word puzzle or paradox that is supposed to just wake you up instantly. So it's it like confuses your brain and you realize nothing's real. Yep. Questions Black. like, does a dog have Buddha nature? Do you feel enlightened, Austin? Welcome to the world of religion. <laughs> yeah. Other forms of expedient means include pouring a cup of tea just the right way. Gardening. Are you serious? I'm serious. I didn't even know that. <laughs> no, this is a thing. Uh, gardening, shooting an arrow perfectly from a bow. Expedient means could be just about anything. You could just you be just going about right. your life and you just do something right and bam, you'll realize nothing is real. Cool. But what? <laughs> welcome to the world of religion. Okay. But, all right. Uh, all right. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. But Austin, so what I'm thinking here is, yeah, I've got this nice hack with Zen Buddhism, but could there be something even less effort? Yes, actually. I found this online on Amazon. Let me bring it over. Uh, Yeah. So Austin is bringing to you live from Amazon.com an expedient means developed by Tibetan Buddhism. I can't find my phone, so we're gonna have to use Nathan's here. So before, while we look for this, um, this actually has a history. I'm talking about automated prayer wheels. So in Tibetan Buddhism, there are uh, prayers like the Om prayer uh, and various others that can aid in this waking up process. Kind of like the koans, you 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 confuse your mind or you think about the things above, and it, it, it breaks the cycle. It wakes you up so that you realize you're not real. More on the whole, you're not real later in another episode. But uh, one of the ways you can do this is by the various prayers of Tibetan Buddhism. But uh, they used to be powered by, like, water. So you could, you could, you could power your prayer wheel with a, with a stream, and it would spin a wheel... And the wheel would have the prayers written on it. And by the wheel spinning, it prays your prayers for you. Yep, it would pray a, a set prayer within Tibetan Buddhism, which is Om Mani Padme Hum, the jewel is in, in the, the lotus, lotus hum, uh, which was a prayer to Avalokitesvara, one of the great bodhisattvas of Mahayana Buddhism and also Tibetan Buddhism. So if you yourself are a Buddhist and want to have an automated prayer wheel to pray your prayers for you and wake you up without you having to do any waking, uh, we found this on Amazon. The um, the Mini Flower Solar Energy Prayer Wheel. 
You can get it for $24.05 and even free shipping. This double prayer reel has two prayer reels that rotate at the same time with a six-word mantra. Fine workmanship, beautifully shaped. There are small bells on both ends for decoration, and they sway with the wind and make a sound. This is not only a prayer wheel, but a work of art. We're not sponsored, by the way. There's a solar panel, so you can it can receive energy. I'm, I'm not even kidding. This is the description of the product. Look it up yourself. It can receive energy at any time in the car. Never stop rotating, and the energy can be obtained outdoor everywhere in the daytime. I love when salvation hacks are sustainable and environmentally friendly. Yeah. Like, it's a surprise this was not invented in, like, capitalist America trying to automate your salvation. No. they The Hindus were the real, were the real efficiency. Buddhists. The, the Buddhists. Yeah. The usage scenarios. This is that from the mean? product description. <laughs> the usage scenarios are the living room, office, car, turn the prayer wheels. The merits are infinite. It brings you good luck, blesses the family, and prays for peace. And that, if I ever saw one, is a prayer hack. hack. A salvation (laughs) hack through prayer. When we do our episode on prayers, you better believe this is coming back. Oh, yeah. So, now, some things that many of our Western viewers, which is, I'm assuming most, because we're speaking English, uh, some Christianity. But before we get into the Christianity that you know, we're going to do the Christianity that the English people don't know. So that actually didn't solve anything. We're going to start. There are three branches of Christianity, as you may know. The Roman Catholic, which is the biggest, probably the most well-known, centered in Rome, the Pope, all that jazz. Uh, You have the Eastern Orthodox, which the Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox split in 1054 from the original unified church. And the Eastern Orthodox makes up a lot of Eastern Europe, They have big concentrations in Russia, Greece, the Balkan states, all throughout there. And then, of course, Protestantism, the small child that uh, didn't like daddy Catholicism and, you know, kind of went rogue in the 1500s. Thanks, Martin Luther. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're going to start with uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. And this is less of a uh, salvation hack as much as a... um, we're all screwed if this isn't if this is the case. This is the sort of thing you want a hack from. <laughs> yeah. So basically, in Eastern Orthodoxy, there is this this idea of aerial toll houses, which are a very strange, very strange doctrinal position that after death, your soul leaves your body and passes through as many as twenty, according to some of the literature, toll houses. And at each of these toll houses, you're led by an angel, and he brings you to a demon-infested toll house, and they tempt you with the various sins. There are toll houses for lies. That's the first one. There's some for heresy, for for lust, gluttony, for gluttony, for all the various sins. For even the, the third to last one is for sodomy. So there's that separate from lust. So. Yeah, these are not at all standard in Eastern Orthodox Christianity. Toll houses are a very rare phenomenon. They're only really talked about in uh, the hagiography of Peter the New, I believe, is the name of the saint. Or was it Basil the New? Basil the New, it might have been. But this, they're talking about this one hagiography, a couple of random books. A hagiography is a life of a saint, by the way. 
and one or two like really old prayers that one of the wordings is and keep us safe as we journey through the aerial toll houses. It's a very minority position in modern and even most of historic orthodoxy with the only real proponent being Father Seraphim Rose, who's a real meme if you know anything about him. <laughs> we might have to do an episode on him. Yeah, he, 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 uh, Aerial Toll Houses, like many things, are supported only by Father Seraphim Rose. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, basically the hack for this is that hopefully it's not real. And we can get salvation through the normal means of Christianity. Fingers crossed. Which is like faith and receiving the sacraments and being good and all that jazz. But that also is hard. So we're going to transition into the next hack, which is Roman Catholicism. So in Roman Catholicism, we have, of course, salvation by grace. This is a common misconception by a lot of Protestants. Catholics do believe in salvation by grace. However, the means of accessing this grace is where the little bit of confusion about salvation by works comes in. Because in Catholicism, you access the grace of God not through just belief in itself, kind of in a vacuum, but you access this grace by participating in the sacraments of the church, going to communion, confessing your sins, performing penance, baptism, all this good stuff. Uh, but the Catholics, as famously talked about by our good friend Martin Luther, developed a hack for this. Uh, yes, quite a while ago, called an indulgence. What is an indulgence, Austin? It's actually a little more complicated than you think. Most what? people, <laughs> most people think indulgence is you pay. It's pay to win. That's that's not exactly what it is. There were certainly paid indulgences, but an indulgence itself is a is a blessing from the Pope that basically takes rid of purgatory time. And you can access this indulgence through various means. The famous or infamous one was paying, which our good friend Martin Luther, as Nate, the, the Protestant in the room, would know, was real ticked about and just, just didn't want that. It was not about that life. Right. And to clarify, even, obviously, as with any institution, there was going to be abuses. But it wasn't just straight pay for your sins to get removed, and that money goes into a coffer. I mean, it, was it kind of was sometimes. Sometimes it was, but it was also for works projects. So the construction of a church was common. Yeah, so obviously the money did, didn't just go straight into priest's pockets all the time. But yeah, the system got corrupted, and I think every, even all Catholics would be willing to say that, yeah, it, it, they kind of screwed up there. But the Catholics had a counter-reformation too, so let us not forget. But yeah, indulgences are a great way to hack your salvation because you can get them for all sorts of things now, not just money, which is hard to make and even harder to spend unless it's on Amazon for all sorts of useless things like an electric prayer wheel. What are you talking about? That's the most useful <laughs> thing I've seen on Amazon in Fair weeks. <laughs> uh, if we order a prayer wheel, will you please sponsor us? Mini wheel. That'd be great. Um, anyways. Yeah. You can get an indulgence for participating in the walk for life. To support pro-life in America. Pope Francis promised that, I think, a year or two ago. Yeah. I almost went. I was busy. It was sad. But, yeah, I would have loved that indulgence, even though I'm not a Catholic. It, you know, it, it, you, if, you, if you can hack any, if you can hack any, any afterlife. You want to cover all the bases, if yeah. possible. Yeah. So you can get these indulgences for doing various acts of service, for fasting on Fridays, which Catholics really need to get on but that's besides the point. 
Yeah, so you can receive these indulgences by various other random tasks that you can do, some of which are pretty low effort. And if you get enough indulgences, you cancel out all your purgatory time and then couple that with your faith in Christ, and you're good to go. Now that's a hack. Now that's a hack. But I think we all know the real hack to Roman Catholicism is Protestantism. That's probably true. Probably true. Because, look, while that all sounds well and good and properly theological, and you may have, you know, people like St. Thomas Aquinas behind the expounding of the logic and the philosophy behind it, wouldn't it just be better to say the sinner's prayer on your deathbed minutes before you pass away and know you're fine because you have faith? Yeah, that, that'd be sweet. That would be a can great I, salvation. Is the, can I do that in Protestantism? <laughs> Uh, you know, most Protestants would say no, but... Well, I mean, not all Hindus would would take the path of the renunciant. That's true. Welcome to the world of religion. There you go. It's a hack, then. As long as someone <laughs> yeah. says you can do it. <laughs> we'll count on that being the case. So, so we just, yeah, you say the sinner's prayer, and then you can kind of just do whatever the hell you want. Uh, that would be an incredibly stripped-down... Cheap form of sola fide, yes. Faith, faith alone, grace alone, sola grati. What is a salvation hack but an incredibly stripped down version of the parent religion? Cool. So, finally, we have our last topic, which is Mormonism, which, as said before, some might consider a form of Christianity, some might not. Mormons usually think it is. Christians usually think it isn't. So I think you've just tipped your hand as to your own position. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Uh, yeah, non-Mormon Christians, I guess I should say, to, ma- to maintain completely academically neutral, as of course I am. Completely biasless, enlightenment boy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do an episode on the enlightenment later. Yeah, that's a religion. All right, Mormonism. Uh, Mormonism is kind of like mainline Christianity, but but not really in the sense that it's not at all like mainline Christianity salvation because you have three tiers of heaven and you can get into various tiers based on a sort of works faith hybrid. Because if you're a good person, you can get into the first, the telestial or the star tier of heaven, which is neat and good. And if you're a good Mormon, but you don't get baptism and do your temple rites, you can go to the second. You're, you're a Mormon, but you didn't get all the way into Mormonism. Uh, you get to the second tier, which is the uh, the uh, celestial tier. Sorry, the, the celestial tier is of the moon. The celestial tier, the that terrestrial tier, tier is the first one. Telestial is the moon, the second tier. Terrestrial's first, telestial's second. And then finally, if you're a great Mormon, you get baptized, you do temple rites, all these good things. Marriage, which is one of the temple rites. You can get all the way to celestial tier, of which there are multiple tiers within it, the highest of which, according to the deification, in Mormonism, there's a, the belief of deification where you can become your own god of a planet. This is not universal in Mormonism, but it's pretty common. It is the standard position. So you're telling me if I become a Mormon, I can become the ruler of a planet? Yes. And Why don't I convert now? Well, it's it's kind of hard to do all the temple rites. Because like in Christianity, baptism is the initiation into the church. In Mormonism, it's a next step. You can be a Mormon without being baptized. And baptism is quite a process. You have to be reviewed for your baptism, 
And after baptism, you have to continue to be reviewed every two years, I believe, to continue to enter the temple. So it's quite a bit of work. Sounds like the sort of thing we need a salvation hack for. Yes. And we have, we have a hack. What's uh, the hack, Austin? It's not going to get you all the way into the celestial tier. It'll only get you into the, uh, the terrestrial tier, the lowest heaven. But it's still heaven, so you know that's better than hell. So it's called Baptism for the Dead. And believe it or not, Nathan, Nathan informed me that this is in the Bible somewhere, in the Christian Bible, not the Book of Mormon or like Doctrines and Covenants, but like... If you have a Bible in your house, it has this verse. Yeah. What, which verse is it? It's 1 Corinthians 15, 29. So 1 Corinthians 15 is, you know, Paul's famous expounding of the doctrine of the resurrection and the great Christian hope to the church in Corinth. And in the midst of this chapter... Slipping by most of us, as we, (laughs) right, as as we've been growing up in our churches, hearing sermons, reading our Bibles, all the all along, this was under our noses. First Corinthians fifteen nine twenty nine. What will those people do who receive baptism on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Boom, Mormonism. You're convinced now. Go find your local Latter-day Saint ward. It'll be great. It's all the proof I needed. <laughs> but yeah, this is an even like a Christian valid, apparently, according to this verse. This we, We'll do hermeneutics on this later. Uh, and by later, I mean not in this episode. We'll leave you to wonder. Um, yeah. Baptism for the dead. So if you die and you're not a Mormon, y- y- yet held and you're not a good person, you can just get held in this sort of limbo area. And someone who is a Mormon, who's also your blood descendant, so you have to have kids, which is not easy, but, you know, lots of people do it regardless of your religion, so it can it can be considered. You know, what? I think that's fair. You know what? Your ancestors have a very high rate of having children considering you're alive, so pressure's on. You can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have kids and one of them becomes a Mormon or someone down the line before the end of the world becomes a Mormon, they can get baptized on your behalf. And there are entire Latter-day Saint like uh, organizations dedicated to ancestry to try and find your non-Mormon ancestors so that you can get baptized for them. And what you do is you, if you're a, a if you, one of your descendants is a, a temple, temple worthy or is able to access the temples and is baptized, they can go and get baptized in the temple and act, pretend like they're you. And if that happens, an angel is sent from God down to where you're being held in limbo, and that angel will preach to you. And if you've been hanging out in limbo this long and an angel shows up, you sure as hell better say yes when that angel asks if you want to go to Mormon heaven. Because that, yeah, if you say no, you're probably going to go to Mormon hell, which is no fun. It's, yeah, I'm not sure of the exact details, but... You know, it's, hells you know, in general are pretty <laughs> unfun places to yeah, be. Yeah, they're, they're generally not great. So, you don't have to do anything. You don't even have to be a Mormon. You don't, have, you don't even have to buy an automated prayer wheel or become a renunciant. You just have to do whatever the heck you want as long as you slip a little Book of Mormon into your kid or grandkid's little bedroom so that they read it when they're sad at night and they become a Mormon. And then they get baptized for you. And you get saved. Now that's a salvation hack. Now that is a my, salvation my hack. My main concern with that is, what if your kid ends up 
having the exact same idea or even stumbling upon this podcast and it decides they are going to employ the salvation hack? Well, I guess we've kind of screwed ourselves over, but we're helping you. This is for all of you. Fellow listeners, just make sure your kids never find this podcast. Just tell them to donate straight to us without ever listening. That'd be great. Yeah, if, if you want to thank us for helping you get into every heaven out there, you know, except the ones we didn't talk about because we couldn't figure out how to hack them. Yeah, so if you're like a Buzzlub or a Shinto... Are there, are there Shintos around still? I met one. Really? Yeah. Wow. We're going to have to do an episode on, like, neo-paganism because that'd be sweet. Yes, we should. Yeah, so if you're if you're in a religion that we haven't figured out how to hack yet, we're sorry. Don't die. We will find a way. We'll get back to you on that. But no matter what religion, you can always just do the whole slip your kid the Mormon book. And that can still work for you. All they have to do is be a Mormon down the line. Yeah. Well, that was a fascinating foray into the world of religion. I, I would say so. So hopefully we will see you in the afterlife after this episode on Hacks. Thanks for listening and tune in next time on Welcome to, to the, the World, world of, of Religion. religion.